Welcome to the Creative Minds Podcast with me, Callum Hughes. Something for your mind. Hello everyone, I hope you're all okay, especially with this third lockdown that we find ourselves in. My name is Callum Hughes and this is the Creative Minds Podcast. This is the 24th episode since starting the podcast in the first lockdown of last year. And there is no doubt at all that this is my biggest guest yet. It's an international superstar DJ, but also someone who I'm very grateful to now call a friend. Before I introduce her, I just wanted to take the opportunity to thank the Birmingham-based independent streetwear clothing brand Dark Circle for agreeing to partner with me on this episode. I'm sure we're all passionate about supporting independent businesses, especially at the moment with how difficult it is in the current economic climate. They're a small, tight-knit crew, but their designs are consistently of the highest quality, as is the general quality of the clothing too. Their pre-SS21 drop launches on the 10th of Feb, so show some love for an independent brand and be sure to go and check them out. Big love to Johnny and Az. So, my guest was one of the key residents at Birmingham's Rainbow Venues that played their own unique part in catapulting the venue into a whole other stratosphere. Since her breakthrough, you may have seen her at the likes of Creamfields, Parklife, We Are Festival, Reading and Leeds Festival, Printworks, Hideout, Lost and Found, Pasha, Amnesia Terrace, EDC, New York, Vegas, Mexico, Tours of Australia, America. Four years of successful sold-out large-scale UK and Ireland tours for her Play and What Hannah Wants concepts then further sold out intimate tours in the UK and Ireland in recent years. Some of her awards include being crowned as Mix Mag's Best Breakthrough DJ in 2012, DJ Mag's Best Breakthrough DJ in 2012, Mix Mag's Star of the Year in 2014, and obviously by now you've probably worked out who it is, but it is, of course, Hannah Wants. Obviously, I suspect the the What Hannah Wants concept or the promo gave that away. So ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I'm just going to invite her in now. Here she is. Hi, Callum. Hello, how are you? I'm all good, thank you. I'm hoping the lighting is going <laughs> to remain okay, but we'll work with it, okay? Also, just an FYI, Ivor is with me. And, yeah. Um, he may make an appearance at some point, he may <laughs> jump up or, or call me or anything could happen, so just be prepared. All good, mate. I think that's why most people are here anyway, because they want to see uh, the little dog, so... <laughs> Trust me, Ivor gets more love and attention on my socials than I do. Not that I'm bothered because, you know, he is king, but um, it, it, it's a real-life fact it happens. Yeah, definitely. So it, it seems like it's been a while, mate, since I've seen you. It's before Christmas, so it's it's nice to see you, first of all. And uh, thank you for taking the time to join me, because I know you've literally just moved Villa, haven't you, since you moved to Ibiza? Yeah, and firstly, thank you for asking me. Um, it kind of happened on an on a Instagram post, didn't it? But um, I'm really kind of, like, proud and happy of your movement, you know, as doing what you're doing and stuff like that. And it's because we met 
um, and in the environment that we met at, in. And um, I just love your work ethic and what you're doing, and I really think you're going to go far. So honestly, be oh, thank you. Can I? I forgot what your question was now. <laughs> Well, to be fair, mate, you carry on. I'm flattered. You can carry on with all the compliments. But um, it was about the fact that, obviously, you recently moved to Ibiza, but I know you've literally just moved Villa, haven't you, from the one you were initially yeah, in? Yeah, yeah. I've just moved Villa um, over the weekend and Monday, and obviously I've got a release out on Friday, so things are extremely hectic. So um, I'll allow any answers to your questions, but I've prepped as much as I could have. No, it's all good, mate. So I suppose the most important question at the moment that we should all be asking one another is, you know, how, how are you keeping and how have you been keeping since the lockdown in last March? Because I know we were on tour together. Um, obviously, I was the USB carrier for, uh, for the likes of Fleur. But was the last gig that you did, the one in Scotland on the tour and then yeah, everything yeah. stopped after that? just while well, the, the restrictions came into play the Monday after my Saturday in Glasgow so um, it, it was weirdly timed that my four, four tour dates were the four week four Friday and Saturdays before everything kind of went to shit so yeah um, very grateful for that but um, yeah, yeah I mean it's, 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 it's been a lot I'm, I'm, gl- I'm, I'm glad I'm here um, yeah it, it, it was a lot Cal, a, a lot yeah because I remember when we were in Dublin, Flash Mob was supposed to play, and I think there were signs then that it was getting bad because he was in Italy, which got hit the hardest at first in Europe, and he basically told himself and told everyone else that to do the right thing, he really couldn't leave Italy, so he stayed put. So I, I, I don't think anybody had any inclination as to what was going to be happening, did they? You know, not nah. knew what was going on. Um, it was all kind of a whirlwind. But like I said, I'm just so glad that we got to kind of play that because that was like the last time. Like it's, it's knocking on a year now, and you know mentally, it, it's a lot on all levels to not to not to to kind of have that everything everything that I thought I was and that I did and that I am mm-hmm. taken away taken away. Yeah, I can appreciate it must be really frustrating because, as I said in the introduction, um, no disrespect at all or playing down any of the other amazing guests that I've had, but in terms of DJing. Um, I know you're very humble, but it doesn't rip your schedule. There's not many other artists out there that really have a hectic schedule as much as you. So, you know, you've spent so many years working towards that. And then, you know, I know you've had it for a couple of years where you've constantly been scheduling. And I know you've been quite open about some of the benefits and positives from slowing down. But, yeah, that's your life. It's your passion. You know, that's what you've worked towards your entire career. And then you just get told, no, you can't do it. And there's no at the moment time scale as to when it's going to return so yeah 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 but f- fingers crossed it'll uh it'll come back in i mean hopefully you'd like to think later on this year or or next year but we'll just have to wait and see i, I hope so carl the way that i'm seeing gazi I'm, I'm planning for the worst i'm hoping for the best you know in my mind i'm telling myself that i'm not really going to be active this year again and, mm. I, and i hope i'm wrong i really hope i'm wrong but we were planning my um, UK and Ireland tour for like February, then it was March, then it was April, then it was May, now it's moved back to September. And, you know, everything that kind of, it, things are changing so rapidly, week to week, day to day. You know, there's, there's nobody can say um, we're coming back here. So it literally is a waiting game. And um, like I said, it's just best to plan for the worst. 
hope for the best and um, the, the next time I step foot in a club and people are in front of me, I'm just going to cry. I know I am. Like, yeah. It's just going to be so emotional that it's just the party's not going to end. Nobody's going to leave the club. I'm not going to get off the decks at my set time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be fighting to get on the decks. Like, it's going to be... I could see it. Like, I can feel the energy. Like, it's just going to be incredible. Um, when that will be, I don't know. But when it will happen... Um, it's going to be amazing. So, yeah, think of the positive. Think of the positive. Yeah, definitely. I think sometimes, I know we'll discuss, um, you know, like your mindset and mentality later on in the conversation, but in terms of general mindset, sometimes, especially at the moment, it's probably the best mindset to have where you're, you know, kind of preparing for the worst, but you're hoping for the best because I think sometimes you can get so caught up in the hopeful expectation it can then become a little bit unrealistic and then it almost makes you feel worse because you're hoping that it's going to change a lot sooner, yeah. Yeah, so... Sorry, I'm just just adjusting eyeballs, but I understand. (laughs) It's all good, mate, don't worry, I understand. So in in terms of you moving to Ibiza, was that generally because I know you've got, you know, a beautiful home that you've worked hard for, but just being in the UK and with how everything is at the moment, did you just feel like you needed the change of scenery to... I mean, honestly, mentally, what wasn't good. I had a um, a difficult year in 2020, and I know everybody kind of had a difficult year, and it's still difficult now. Mm. Um, but personally, you know, I started the year with um, a cancer re-diagnosis. That was a shock. Yeah. Then coronavirus hit the next month, and then obviously work and my passion and my love and everything that I was doing and did, and it gave me give me a purpose. Mm. Went. And then a couple of months after, I had a horrific relationship breakup. Um, mm. And that was all within the space of six uh, six months. Yeah. And um, it just, it was um, just, it was just too much. Too yeah, much. of course. And I got to a really bad place. And then I got better. Um, but then things kind of kept getting pushed back, um, you know, industry-wise. And I just thought, why? Well, it was a Monday morning I saw um, a post somebody posted about Ibiza and something just went ding in my in my head and I thought Ibiza I've got to get to Ibiza yeah so I went back in the house I was walking over playing vibe in the garden I went back in the house and I made a plan I wrote a plan I still got the plan on my thing now of what what I was going to do, what days I was going to do it, they had to adjust a little bit, but... Yeah, of um, course. And then it was mission, plan, and get my ass out to Ibiza, because I knew that I wasn't going to be DJing for at least the next three months. Mm-hmm. Um, it's winter time. The UK weather is awful. Um, You're telling me, mate. <laughs> Sorry, I know that <laughs> For my sanity and for my physical... <laughs> no, but... <laughs> you are... We knew it was going to happen, didn't we? Um, for my physical and mental state, just just from my whole being, I knew I had to get away. I, I had to heal on every single level that you can imagine. Yeah, of course, mate. And I thought, what better place to do it than coming here to one of my favourite places in the world, one of the most spiritual places in the world. Mm. I've never been in the winter. Why not? Why not? I'm yeah. grateful and blessed enough to have, been, you know, have that opportunity and freedom to have done that. Yeah, of course. Um, and I was going to optimise it. I was going to use it, and so, so here I am. Yeah. No, I really appreciate you being open and honest there, because I know that you know we're friends on a personal level. But I've always said, you know, especially with conversations like this, 
I'm someone I think a lot of other people should as well, you know, respect your privacy. I know that, you know, you're very much in the limelight and seen as a public figure because of your DJing. But one thing that I thought was disgraceful, you know, we don't have to go into detail, was, you know, like the tabloids around your breakup and things like that. And I just thought, well, what right do you have to be so intrusive about someone's lifestyle? But they've, they've been notorious for it for years. But I just think, you know, personally, I don't see how people can do that, can earn a living off writing about someone's personal problems like that when they don't even know the true story. You know what, Carl? It gives you a whole lot of understanding. I mean, that's the first time our relationship has been into um, tabloids, but it gives you, it gave me a firm understanding of how difficult life must be in that kind of limelight because I wouldn't want that for the world. No, it's no. All good when it's all good, but it's soon going to turn shit and um, and and the feeling of, it was the feeling of helplessness. First of all, I didn't want to be in there. I got dragged in there. It was a horrific situation anyway and um and it was just the feelings of helplessness because first of all it wasn't what it wasn't the truth that they printed anyway mm, but I, I, it never I, is I mate i myself and write a fucking statement on instagram i wasn't mm. going to go and do that so it was that i knew the truth i know what was really yeah. happening and then people are thinking of writing and talking about something and it's um Again, a lot mentally, I, it was difficult to cope with. Yeah, of course, mate. No, I mean, it, you know, it, it's really good to see, you know, that you're in, hopefully, you know, a much better place now than what you were since you since you moved out of there. But that's one thing I wanted to say, to be honest, is um, I was definitely guilty of it when I was, like, late teens, very early 20s. I mean, that was, like, five, six years ago now. But one thing people just need to be very mindful of, um, and, and this doesn't just apply to you, but just any kind of public figure because it's not just in tabloids now it's on social media it's you know it's on facebook posts it's on instagram and you know people have this misconception that if you're successful you know if you've been wealthy off the back of your success you know you've got a beautiful dog you've got a nice house you know you, you've got clothes you've got stuff that a lot of people might dream for but they then assume that you're immune to any kind of problems and you know people can be very quick to jump on a bandwagon and comment and i was I was probably guilty of it, you know, five, six years ago. But I think if there's one thing I can say from my personal experience and to anyone younger that's watching, is just be very mindful of what you comment because, especially at the moment, there's a lot of people who are frustrated and angry with the whole situation. And rather than channeling their frustration into something positive, they end up lashing out on platforms like social media, on posts that trigger them or they have absolutely nothing to do with them. Like, it's not even relevant to... To their life so it, it, it took me a long time and, and that goes back to like I, I've experienced kind of hate <clears throat> as a DJ and producer and it goes back to you have to kind of, it takes years it took me years but yeah of course that people that outwardly portray those kind of hateful and negative emotions are genuinely disturbed and not okay themselves They're it is true mate mm. I would never ever ever decide or think it would be okay David Guetta, I respect him. Personally, not a fan of his music style, um, but I would never, ever think to go onto Twitter and go, fucking hate your music. Yeah. Why? Why? Mm. What, why? If, if it's what, just just why? But, but unfortunately, you know, some people are troubled, but, but it does take a lot of time to not take that stuff personally and think, you know what, allow that. Um, you agree with that? Just, <laughs> just allow and... Um, you know, 
not wish them well, but just kind of, um, yeah, just not let it bother you and just know mm. that they're, they're, they're not at peace. Yeah. Kind of, uh, you know? No, it's, it's a great point you've made there, mate. And it was something I was speaking to Jamal Edwards about. I suspect you've met Jamal many times SBTV owner and I did a, a podcast with Leo Gregory who's out in Ibiza as well the actor who was in Green Street and I normally obviously because I'm in you know not a big position within social media or just life in general I had a couple of negative comments on there and I think as humans I mean you know you're obviously naturally very loved with you know you're your DJing and your passion you know you've got a huge following and 99% of the comments will be really positive but I think if you go looking sometimes for those comments you come across it it's so it's that one it's, sometimes it's even one comment out of tens of thousands of likes and comments and then you think oh why are they saying that like and you start to overthink and beat you, yourself you up yeah. And I, I can um, agree with what you're saying. I can read hundreds of good comments, and the one that I'll remember and that will stick in my head will be the one bad one. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's just, yeah. It's just one of those things. So, and and going back to the press, you know, about not being on that kind of level. I don't know. We're going completely off topic. Here, <laughs> it just it raises a point of just being so careful with your words because I can understand 100% how people just can't take anymore because they just feel like they have nowhere to go and. We've seen recently over the past couple of years that people in the limelight have taken their lives because mm. um, because of that feeling. So I, if there's one message that we can get across in this podcast, it just be careful with the words, you know. Yeah, just very true. Through, is it nice? Is it necessary? You know, and, and, and just try and spread, especially in this crazy time where we don't know what's going to happen. Like, literally nobody knows what the future holds. Like, mm. best case scenario, we'll be clubbing again in a couple of months. Worst case scenario, clubbing isn't never going to be the same. I hope I hope, I hope, hope it's not like that. But um, just be kind. We're all struggling hard. Be kind to each other. Yeah, definitely, mate. So, I wanted to go right the way back chronologically to even before your career started. Now, I've done a decent amount of research, and correct me if I'm wrong, I read that your granddad was a DJ at parties in the 1940s and 1950s. So do you feel that naturally that strong passion for music is almost something you've inherited and it, and it runs through your veins because of your family heritage? or Maybe, I mean, my granddad was an OG DJ, like he <laughs> left the war, I don't know when the war was, but I know it was 1940s, and yeah. when you left the war, you got given a certain amount of money for your service, and my granddad had come, come out and um, looked at the technology, and in those days, it was all live bands, big bands and stuff, and he bought a turntable, an amplifier, and speakers, and um, vinyls, and thought, I can play the same music mm. with just me and this equipment, and he was one of the first pioneers of actually doing that in his country, which I think is just a fascinating fact. Yeah, that's um, mad. Oh. Crazy. My dad, actually, I spoke to my dad when, when I knew he was going to ask about that, and he showed me the card because he was selling all his stuff in 1949, and he'd started about five years before that. So around 1944, um, my dad was setting up... My, 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 my dad would be old. <laughs> my, granddad, my granddad was, um, you know, gigging in a sense as a DJ and yeah. then my dad and, my, and a few of my cousins have, have all been DJs not DJs how you know you would imagine a DJ but kind of mobile DJ and, yeah. and stuff so music's always been in the family and um, and always kind of been something that we all 
you know, have just been yeah. obsessed about. That's so crazy. In the family. I'm going to say it once <laughs> That's mad. But it's crazy because, you know, when you think back to that period, especially with how technology's developed, you almost can't imagine that there was, like, turntables. I know that the 1940s wasn't, like, hundreds of years ago, but because of how much things have changed, even in recent years, that all I'm imagining is your granddad on some, like, pioneer nexus back in, like, the 1940s. Oh, I imagine it was some bulky-looking yeah. but um, just, just mad, yeah, mad how it's changed over the years. Yeah. That's and yeah, that is mad. Um, so, obviously, as, you, as you've grown up, you've gone down your own path and developed your own sound, but um, other than your granddad i know you've mentioned there around your own dad and do you say your cousins as well with the mobile dj and how influential were your family like in even in like your childhood or your adolescent years um and how did that kind of influence your career path i'd, I'd say my mom was a big influence in my music whenever i would go around to my mom's house me and my sister would go on a weekend and um the house would be blasting from with music from start until finish and um just such an eclectic music taste from cranberries deacon blue rem radiohead seal mm. sonic fleetwood mac like just all of those things all of those artists and bands that i listen to still to this day and, yeah um, my mom was my mom was all upon the dance and trance anthems Do you remember those compilations yeah so i would always listening to those and then personally you know I was a teenager and I was obsessed with DJ EZ's Pure Garage compilation series yeah so you know it was just kind of going to HMV do you remember who remembers HMV by the way? <laughs> even, even I'm even I'm old enough to remember that <laughs> if you know you know and but so I'd always be at HMV for the um for his release date for the Pure Garage compilations just just into music just really into yeah. music always it's interesting because when, when i went to the dark circle warehouse yesterday the the, the founder and i suppose co-owner aaron i think one of his friends was um engaged to easy like back back in the day this was but when i first started going to raves i think it was probably v festival I probably even watched you mate like 2014 maybe and I watched EZ, and because I was so naive, and I, similar to you, like my upbringing, I listened to like a lot of Led Zeppelin, Moby, Faithless, NWA, like real eclectic, like you say. And I think that's a big point to get across, just before I continue, is that anyone who's up and coming as an artist, just to be really open-minded with what music you're listening to, because if you only listen to one specific genre, like that's all you're going to know, but you can get inspiration from stuff that you might not necessarily DJ, but it just opens yeah. your mind up a lot more. But when I was watching EZ, I was like, oh, who's this geezer? Like, he's next level, he's come out of nowhere. And then it's only obviously as you do your research, you're like, yo, this geezer's been done in it since before I was even born with, with the garage scene. It's mad. But um, I read as well that you were 16 when you attended your first rave. Was that kind of the life-affirming moment where you realised that's what you wanted to do or was it a little bit later on? No, 100%. And it's kind of kind of cliche saying it, but it's it's true. Um, you didn't... Back then, and I don't mean to sound old, but back then, you know, the security wasn't so hot on, you know, um, IDs. And and I went to my first rave when I was 16. And, and um, I, I literally say it as it is. It was Kudos in Birmingham. Um, now it's called Chic. Yeah. Saw the DJ, it was Clinton Shaw. He was up on the DJ booth, it was elevated. Saw him, 
I knew in that very second what I wanted to do. There was it was just I can't I can't even explain it. I just knew seeing him the way that he was just playing music and he had the dance floor in his hands. Ultimately, I yeah, just, I was just mesmerised. I was fascinated, and and I went home, and um, it was mission get Dex. <laughs> So did you get decks pretty much straight away? And back then, was it more a case of buying vinyl more than anything rather than digital? Yeah, so for my next birthday, uh, my girlfriend at the time actually bought me um, a set of Newmark belt drive turntables and a mixer. And I took myself to Hard to Find Records in Birmingham as soon as I could. Um, bought some records and literally just shut my bedroom door, locked myself away and just, um, I was obsessed. Yeah, obsessed. that's class, man. So I, I was speaking to Aid Chad, who I think you know is from Birmingham, used to DJ at Bushwhackers back in the yeah, day, but yeah, yeah. He, when, when I told him that I had you on, because I'm always intrigued and I find it really quite inspirational when you look at like your growth when you were first trying to like not just get your foot in the door, but then really break through. It was a lot harder back then. Yeah, I feel like now it's almost, in a way, become too easy because you know you've got a social media platform, um, you know, in in the palm of your hands. Whereas back then, you know, was it was it a lot of like blogs and MSN and flyering? Like, how did you manoeuvre in terms of um, like being tactical to get get your name out there and networking and? I'm going to say something that kind of contrasts what you said, really, because <clears throat> if I could start again now with the way that things are now in terms of social media i i'm glad i don't have to do that oh, okay I actually kind of preferred i mean not that not that I, i've done it to compare against it but honestly with social media now and that everybody can be a dj it's mm. acceptable and everybody can just everybody says i'm a model i'm a dj you know it, you can have that whereas back then there were there wasn't any uh status yeah to doing it if that makes sense well there was i mean back then you know djs people still fancied the djs and it was still cool to be in the dj booth but yeah online which is what we all portray now to the outside world there mm. wasn't any of that kind of so you couldn't just oh, i'm gonna be you know i'm a dj just to kind of boost your ego and things like that it just yeah. didn't happen like that so i'm glad i'm glad i did it when i did it because it was just about being obsessed with music. I yeah, would, I agree. I, would, I wouldn't go to sleep and I'd just be on my laptop searching for tunes all mm. night, every night, because I just loved music, you yeah. know? And um, I would go to open deck nights at the Moon Lounge. Who, remi- who remembers the Moon Lounge? Short has always mentioned the Moon Lounge in there. You know, when I couldn't play good at that point, but um, I would be the friend that would bring my decks to friends' parties. I would DJ at my football presentations. I was just that. <laughs> I just I can't explain it. Yeah. I, just, I just wanted to play music, so it doesn't matter what if it's in my bedroom, friends' parties, um, to nobody, to, to fifty people at my presentation, you know. And I think um, I think it's important to have that kind of passion and not just kind of think, oh, that's going to look good on Instagram, mm. you know, which I think happens a, a little bit nowadays, you know. Yeah. I think that's one of the questions I was going to come on to, but, you know, whenever I've, I've listened to the likes of uh, Shorter's podcast with Kane Townen and he was saying, you know, like that um, kind of generation, I know that he's maybe, is, is Tom the same age or a little bit older, Shorter's? Oh, I'm going to say a little bit older. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, you, you can't say that you're uh, you're older than Tom. 
But back then, you know, it was very much, if you were given a warm-up set, you'd do it. And, you know, you might play to a handful of people or nobody. Whereas now, you know, because of social media, people don't want to be seen to be that person who plays to only a handful of people. It's frowned upon. I've played to numerous empty rooms, not just a few people, just Mm. nobody in there. And the sound's clashing around all the walls because there's no crowd in there. Like, it's happened. And and it's just... um, to a degree, that's the way that it should be. You know, you shouldn't kind of be given, um, you shouldn't, uh, this is a whole other conversation, but you know, you, uh, I think it's important to learn your trade and build up um, mm. and learn your craft. I think it's one of the most important skills. If you go from here to here and have an experience here, mm. I just can't explain. I just don't think that it's going to, uh, you know, you're not going to have that longevity. You know yeah. what I mean? I think that's where you really learn the bulk of your career and your trade and, and, and you learn your skills so that you can adapt to any situation yeah. you've got a thousand, ten thousand people in front of you. Honest, I wouldn't change those days for the world. Some of the best times of my life um, yeah. playing in, in shitty little pubs and, and loving it, you know, it, it is what it is. Yeah. No, it, it's very true and I think it is a, a conversation and, and point that's being pushed a lot more. Uh, and it's something that I've noticed the best DJs that I've met, especially like the, the younger crowd, are the ones that played in um, bars. Like I think even before I started working with Fleur, she was playing in like Ashby de la Zouk when she was like 16, 17. Um, you know, your likes of Kareem, Nathan Forbes, like some of the lads that play for Terminal, they were DJing in the Prince Albert in Wolves when, because it's a pub and it's a bar, you are forced to, you know, be able to adapt and evolve. You know, you can't just play bangers as soon as you walk in. You've got to, you know, accommodate to what the uh, to what the punters want to hear. So, no, it's, it's a good point. So, anyone who's listening, don't be turning down warm-up sets thinking it's the worst thing because it's probably the thing that will teach you the most. Teach you the most. Joe Hunt was saying as well, as, as warm-up sets, like... People are like, no, nah, I'm not playing 5 till 6am or 4 till 5. But it's normally the best way of earning respect from either the punters and the promoter. Because if you do like a 10 till 11 or a 5 till 6 and you can like build that crowd up gradually or even hold people on the dance floor when they're mash up after like being at a rave for six, seven hours, it shows. That's, that's actually a, a really good point. And I was actually going to touch on that with one of your, um, you know, your, your questions that are coming soon because... I actually landed my proper, my kind of more headline amnesia residency by being given, I think they just had the slot left amnesia, it was um, together in the drum and bass in a more bassy room, not my genre at all, Um, but I was offered that slot, I think it must have been maybe around 2015, Mm -hmm. I don't play this music but of course I wasn't going to turn it down and I kept that crowd in that club up until the closing time, week in, week out, and they were so surprised, and so was I, to be honest, to <laughs> adapt to my set, but I was so surprised too, but because I kept the crowd that well, the next year I was offered a, um, a headline residency at Amnesia, you know, so it's it's taking those off-piste sets that you usually wouldn't, mm. adapting, winning, and that's what deep DJing is about, it's not just about pressing play, pressing the, you know, playing the biggest records. It's, it's, it's that ability to be able to adapt, to do exactly that. Your job is to keep people on the dance floor, you mm-hmm. know, and if it's not working, you have to be ready to change it and know what to change it to. Yeah. Um, 
it's 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 such an, an amazing thing that I think um, has kind of been lost. And again, we're going off piece a little bit here. Now, now carry on, mate. It's, it's nice to hear. It's truly beautiful, you know. And if you can get it right, it's it's perfection. And and I just I love it so much. Nah, it's, it's very true, mate. I, I like your point there about you know sometimes. As, as an artist, you know, it's like it's an out-and-out DJ, you might have to play a little bit different to what you might want to play. But, you know, if you just go in with the mindset of this is my plan A and I'm playing what I want and if they don't like it, well, you're going to damage your own reputation, but the likelihood is the promoter's not going to book you again either because if you lose the dance floor and you think, nah, if they don't like my tunes, that's their problem. It's like, well, at the end of the day, mate, like they paid a ticket to come and see you, so you can't really just dictate it like it's... Uh, like it's yours, but no, good points there. I suppose that, that comes on quite nicely to the next question around like how important do you think it was in terms of moulding who you are today as a DJ and the fact that you know you, you didn't just break through and reach the heights that you've reached, you know, you you've maintained that. And that's something that a lot of people struggle to do. You know, you can break through and work towards it, but it's actually how you can consistently maintain that year in, year out. So do you feel like all those experiences back then have massively helped for like the artist that you are now yeah I, I think I think that's a really good point you can make it now make it um, in with with one huge tune um, and I think Rhymes was that kind of catalyst for me um, I'd this is kind of going into one of your other questions but you know I'd come back from Ibiza I did uh, 2010 and 11 in Ibiza from my 2010 um, summer I'd landed a residency back home in Birmingham for Glass. Yeah. And um, it was just well, the, the Glass residency. We can talk about that in your question. It was just really about you know, those earlier sets that you played because obviously people might see you now and think, oh, Hannah wants is on tour in America, Australia, EDC, yeah. all these main stages at Creamfields and Parklife and just assume that you came from being a bedroom DJ to just being planted there. But obviously your early years were mainly pubs, bars, clubs playing to nobody. Like how important was that in terms of making you the artist that you are today? As a DJ, if I, if I, if I wasn't the DJ that I am, I wouldn't be still where I am now. You know, um, I've been DJ for, God, I wouldn't even want to count the years, <laughs> 16 years now. And um, I started when I was 10, by the way. And um, if I did, if I'd have kind of, if I didn't have the um, the skills as a DJ to kind of do what I, I did, I, I don't believe that I would still be here now. You know, I, mm. I think, well, I think a, a few things kind of contribute to it, but... I definitely think um, I earned my stripes as a DJ and um, I was ready for that leap when I did kind of catapult up a level in 2014. Yeah. Um, I'd done a couple of seasons in Ibiza. I, things were snowballing at that point. Yeah. I was getting booked before. Um, 2010, maybe, I was getting booked Birmingham. 2011, it was Birmingham and Leeds, that, those kind of areas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Leeds, sorry. And then it just kind of slowly started spreading. And then Rhymes became my, um, the track that I released with Chris Lorenzo that kind of flew and, and, and went huge. Yeah. And that things were going well. And then in 2014, things kind of catapulted yeah. upwards and, uh, and went to a whole new level in terms of worldwide touring and things. Mm. 
One thing I was going to say then, I really like the point that you made and that's something that really needs to be pushed across to people is that you were ready because you'd gone and played those smaller sets and you had that exposure in, let's be honest, quite a volatile environment at times, especially, you know, being a female DJ, there's not loads of female DJs out there. So, you know, you're in sometimes quite, um, not always a hostile environment. You know, a lot of the raves are good vibes, but, you know, it's quite, it's quite heavy compared to, you know, going down your local boozer with your parents for a, for a couple of points. But, you know, playing to smaller crowds, then you obviously Glass was amazing um, at Rainbow. You know, that was obviously bigger crowds. But now there's a lot of younger people, I feel, that just hope that overnight they go from being a bedroom DJ to play, playing the main stage. But even before I started working with Fleur, I think the biggest crowd I ever played to was about 500. And the anxiety that I had from that was insane. So in terms of longevity for both like your skill set, but also your mental health, because if you became successful overnight and someone dropped you on Creamfield's main stage and went, there's several thousand people, I don't think there's many people out there that could handle that level of pressure and anxiety. And, and, and it's not just that, because the idea as a DJ, you don't just want to play there once you, the aim is never just to go to one country or one city or one venue once. You don't want that. In fact, you want the opposite. You want to do, <clears throat> you want to do such an amazing job and you want people to have gone away with such an amazing night that the promoter and the crowd are all like, when are you coming back? When are you, you know, that's, that's the goal. Yeah. Um, and that's important to remember. So again, it's just about being able to confidently and deliver, deliver a set and, and be confident in your ability to do that mm-hmm. so that you can continue to grow and not just be a one hit wonder because that's what can happen. If you have a, a you know, a great tune, um, which is ultimately what is what catapults you now. Yeah. And then you can't back it up with, um, with the ability to, to DJ, unless they're bad promoters, you know, you're not going, you're not going to rebook them, are you? At the end mm. of the day, it doesn't when the crowd, when it's the DJ and the crowd, it doesn't matter about the tune that they've released. It matters about what they're doing there and then, doesn't it? So, yeah, of course. Um, yeah, it, it, yeah, it's important. Yeah, you know, with you kind of go into the next level, and it's really nice. You know, it happened in the Midlands. Uh, was it? the glass residency or was it like a combination of the glass residency and i think i listened to a podcast that rue j did did you play for the likes of obviously rock and roller and then 231 you know 231 i wasn't even um you know partying in birmingham back then but you look at those lineups they're just absolutely ridiculous it was like you red light shorters chris lorenzo even like disclosure before they blew up and you think imagine those lineups now it'd be ridiculous Justin Martin, Todd Edwards, like I was so grateful and so fortunate to kind of be on the be in the mix with those kinds of DJs, and I, I was kind of a resident for all of your Birmingham Midlands brands. So yeah, you, mm. you know your, your rock and rollers, your two thirty ones and stuff, and um, and it kind of again snowballed from Glass. I was got the Glass residency from Ibiza, and that only happened because I I was in bed actually, and I had a phone call. And um, it was one of the glass promoters, and they said the headline DJ isn't isn't coming. Um, can you can you come and play? And I was like, well, I'm in bed, but yes. Yeah. So I jumped out <laughs> of bed, ran down to West Paradise. Went Did you get dressed? This is where it goes back to you know being able to deliver because yeah, yeah. I must have done a good job because it was from then it was Will that called me up and said, um, you know, can you be a resident back home? You know, so it's that was a mad thing, and then. Sometimes it is good timing as well. Birmingham and Red, um, 
Birmingham and Midlands kind of um, event runs and, and it was pivotal again in learning and knowledge and playing um, opening sets, closing sets before the main artist sets, you know, just just everything. And yeah. um, 100% um, l- learned a whole other load of stuff during that period to lo- love those days and I miss those days a lot. Yeah. It, it's, it's really nice though because uh, obviously I know you've still got a very close relationship with Tom Short as now obviously you still take him on tour, you know, just original Don DJ man still years down the line smashes it but if, if, if he had wanted to um, if, it, if he'd have wanted to he would, could have been one of the best DJs in the whole entire world I just to be honest I, you know I think his passion lies with the, the promoting and I don't think he's caught up mentally he doesn't want that kind of um, mm. limelight that side but in terms of talent you won't you won't find many people that know more about music nah insane yeah it's mad because I've looked at lineups from years ago when he was playing like dubstep alongside Scream and Benger and then you'd see him at 231 playing bass line then he'd play like a real deep house minimal set after dark I was like it's just absolutely ridiculous man his knowledge is mind bending and I'm always sending him voice notes and messages like it's mad isn't it so um just before we move on how did you initially cross paths with him then because like i said i know that it's a, a not just a business relationship but a friendship that you've still got now when was that kind of first encounter just through him being a promoter and me DJing at the time and he would have reached out to me and got me down and then a few sets would have led, led into the residency and then um, and then yeah our friendship yeah. developed from there he's, he's got an eye for talent though hasn't he like some of the artists that he's brought through over the years I bet he wishes he had like a royalties or commission contract with some of the artists that he's uh, brought through over the years yeah one one hundred percent. He knows his stuff, and I and I really believe that he knows what you know. He can see because he's such a great DJ, and he knows his he knows his shit. He knows what he's looking for, and he really can pick out yeah you know, uh, DJs, and he and he proves that definitely. You know that period then. So did you say it was about two thousand and thirteen, two thousand and fourteen? Because. I did watch an interview that you did when you played Global Gathering and you were saying you were playing the main stage, but the year before you were playing in the bunker as the one to watch. So I know it's probably quite difficult, but can you remember that kind of turning point, that pivotal moment when that breakthrough happened or did it just gradually happen and it's hard to pinpoint it? It, it felt like it was gradually happening from 2010. Like it, the, the, the snowballing term feels right. It just can't, it gained momentum in terms of hype and uh, busyness, and it just carried on growing. And then it kind of jumps when then you start getting bookings from America and Europe and things like that. So it was it was um, a progression, honestly, over the years, but obviously catapulted when 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 rhymes did really well. Yeah. Well, one thing I've noticed as as well. Um, and I think it's really important to get across to anyone in terms of longevity, like you say, because you, you know, you've been a breakthrough act since like 2010 and you've consistently maintained that at the highest level. But what I've always noticed, and it's something that I've taken on board as well, is 
how imperative it is to have a strong team around you that you can trust because I know that your work ethic is second to none you know it's not like you just sit there and say to your agent where's my bookings or you say to Philly or where's this or where's that you know you do a hell of a lot off your own back you know you've got Philly you could trust your life with obviously you've been with Hannah at Echo a long time I've noticed even with your group of friends that you take to your gigs with you I think it's really important if you're going to stay at that level you have people that obviously you can trust to delegate roles to but just trust in general because there's a lot of backstabbing and there's a lot of people you think maybe have the right intentions but they don't always have them in the music industry 100% the industry just like I imagine many industries is and are brutal you know and um, having a close I've always had a small close circle anyway but it is um, extremely important you know because your reputation is on the line you're taking people friends to events and yeah, okay, my friend Billy is crazy. But good people, good hearts, and um, you know they're not gonna mess your reputation up, and that is um, it's 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 really important, really important. Yeah, definitely. I've just always been like that anyway. I, I prefer having a small trusting circle because, and like you said about this industry being ruthless, it it, it very much can be. Um, so 100 um, a bit of advice would be to kind of have good people around you that, that, that you can trust yeah definitely so. mate so like we've already discussed you've been one of the main headliners in a consistent attraction year in year out um, even domestically at Creamfields. obviously I know Hyde is in Croatia but Park Life We Are Festival as well as the residencies in Ibiza for the likes of Amnesia and Pasha so it goes without saying, you know, when you were working towards that, that was always your dream. That's what you wanted to, to come true. But when I look at some of the pictures and just how big the crowds are, how do you mentally prepare for gigs at that level? And what advice would you give for any like breakthrough artists on how to cope with that pressure? This, again, might go against what you might think, but... I definitely get nervous. I think nerves are a good thing. I think nerves show that you care mm. about what you're doing, you know. Um, but in terms of kind of anxiety, I, I've always felt, I've always said I feel more comfortable behind the decks playing the music in front of 10,000 people. I feel more comfortable than I would do if I was somebody in the crowd. I've just always been that okay. person. I don't like kind of being in big crowds. Um, I love music, but if I was in the crowd, I'd be more anxious mm. than I would be DJ. You know, I feel just so at home. I feel That's like good. Just because, I think because I've just been doing it so long, you mm. know, I, I feel more... That's how I can sum it up. I feel more comfortable behind the decks than I do if I would be in the crowds. Yeah, no, it's, it's an interesting perspective, and I suppose probably a lot of artists that are the same level as you, that they're probably the same level as that. that's your Carl Coxes, your Marco Carolas, you know. I know those guys are obviously a hell of a lot older than you are, but they're the same in terms of their journey. They've done it pretty much their entire career. That is their career, the same as yours. So it kind of just becomes your, your natural habitat and like your second home, doesn't it? So, no. Nah. It, it is my second home. I wish I could go back to it right now, but yeah, I, see, I do see it as my second home. Yeah. I wanted to discuss the importance of, of mindset and general mental and, and physical well-being because um, I, you know, I, have, I have observed since we met each other start of 2019, it seems like with certain things that have happened in your life, which I know you've already mentioned um, over the last few years, 
you have been like a lot more open and vocal on social media, maybe because you feel like you've got a good platform and, you know, with your experiences, hopefully it can help other people as well. Um, but what would you say are like the, the main lessons you've learned on your journey so far, whether it's like the demands of being a touring DJ and, and the lifestyle that, that comes with it that's made you focus a lot more now on, you know, like your, your diet and your exercise and everything else that you're working on? I mean, how long have you got, Cal? Like, <laughs> I guess a, a lot of what, what I kind of implement now is has been changed and is now implemented because of what I've gone through, you know, experience it and it's a beautiful thing, isn't it? That's how we all grow. But mm. um, back, back when I first started DJing, um, when I was younger, I thought I was invincible, my body. In fact, I didn't even think about my mind. I just thought this, I thought I was invincible. I yeah. would be necking full bottles of, of Di Serrano at gigs, no no problem. Not really thinking or, or being mindless with drinking drugs every, every gig. Um, abusing my body, abusing my body and just not even thinking, not even being aware of it. So if I could go back now or if I could tell one important thing to tell people that are that are younger is to just be mindful. I'm not saying I don't party anymore because I do. Yeah, of course. If you and between, I'll go crazy. In fact, not even that crazy, but, you know, I'll party and then I'll make sure... I've got my juices the next day. I'll make sure that it doesn't happen for another couple of months. You know, it's just about being mindful. I, I would take on 10 gigs in America in a row. Some of those would involve going from the gig to the airport to the next city. I, I, I'm somebody that can't sleep sitting up. So unless I'm laid down on a plane, which obviously you can't do short haul in America, um, I can't sleep. So I would be days or extremely long periods of time with zero sleep now that sleeping is where your body heals mm. itself yeah. and I was depriving my body for years of proper sleep proper mm. food I didn't know anything about food again ignorant and just not knowledgeable of food and yeah and giving the body what it needs I didn't know any of that stuff like I was just I don't know in, in my own little bubble of DJing and I can do this and nothing's affecting me and um obviously I felt fine you know um, so just be mindful of, of what you're putting in your body, putting on your body. Are you looking after yourself? And um, I'm not saying don't party, but party, but just be mindful yeah. of everything that you do. That's what I am now. I'm just mindful and I will organise and plan. Um, if I'm going to do something crazy, I'll make sure I've got a little juice detox plans the week after or something like that, you know, so... Yeah. Um, just mindful, mindful, Cam. Yeah, definitely. No, I really appreciate um, the advice and insight there. It, it's something that I've learned as well, because even when growing up, like, you, you know, you're led to believe that, oh, I know we don't have to go fully into the conversation, but, uh, you know, you must eat meat, you must eat dairy, you must eat this, must eat that. But now, like, I'll eat mainly, like, a plant-based diet. I'll try to exercise five, six times a week. And like you say, sleep... Um, I've never been a big fan of the whole after parties and going straight through and that because like you say you're depriving your body of something that like is essential you know you're not just told you need seven or eight hours a day for for just any old reason um, and it's the fact that it has mentally as well you know when you're depriving your body of like its essential needs um, you know and stuff that actually is good to be in your body like you say I'm the same as you mate. I'm, I'm not innocent when it comes to to partying but it's all about having that balance where you know you're not just thinking three days a week I'm going to absolutely hammer it you might think yeah I've had a bit of a blowout now I'm going to leave it um, yeah. for a bit and, and partying well that, that leads to the bad 
fried food, you know, because ain't nobody reaching for a salad on a Sunday when they're hanging. True. You haven't slept, you've drunk, you might have, you know, put substances in your body, then you, you, yeah, you haven't slept, then you wake up the next day and you eat 13 takeaways. <laughs> you know, the damage that you can do to yourself just from that weekend, you know, and it, and it builds up. So whilst I felt fine at the time, obviously, probably, I have no doubt, um, I have no doubt of my lifestyle and the stress, um, the stress that I put myself under to be mm. the biggest and best, you know, I've yeah, always yeah. been that, that person. Mm. I have no doubt that my lifestyle and my mindset uh, led to my, my first cancer diagnosis. You know, I just, I wasn't living a balanced life. I wasn't living my Yeah, life. yeah. I mean, obviously, the, the good thing is now, pray to God, fingers crossed, you know, you, you're in remission, you look really well, and I'm sure you will be going forwards because you've done that research um, and you know how to repair your body um going forwards but i think it is um an important message for for younger people um because like you say when you're young you do think you're invincible and you think now nah, I'll, I'll never be impacted mentally or yeah. physically but then it can just get you like that if, if there was ever 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 a person that was the it will never happen to me about cancer you're looking at it it was me mm. like I, I i i never get ill never have colds ne- you know ne- i never get ill i was that person that just was just like it'll never happen to me yeah and then, trust me one day it can happen to you and it's at that point that your world will change unless if i could go back now i would be proactive instead of reactive and i would have implemented what i'm doing i would have done what i'm doing now back then and hopefully i would never have had to have gone through what i've been through you know so yeah um, yeah and no, important definitely no i appreciate your um your honesty there so there's, there's no doubt through your like relentless consistency passion and work ethic that you managed to turn hannah wants into a brand name in its own right some years ago whether that's i know like the merchandise was launched last year with the want store um but in terms of the play and what hannah wants concepts um where did those ideas come about because what i what i really like is how you bridge the gap between not just making it massive large scale tours you've also with the what hannah wants tours in recent years gone back to that intimate feeling as well so when did those kind of ideas snowball where you thought ready to do like the tours so what hannah once started i think it was 2014 or 2015 you know things were kind of blowing up and, and to be honest i just wanted to it's what a lot of artists do this these days and i did want to be able to kind of fully put my own stamp on and control events so i wanted to be in control of the cities, choose the venues that I thought was going to suit me and, you know, and the event best. Um, I wanted to kind of have inputs and choose the DJ lineup, you know, to kind of complement me and my style. I wanted to give people, you know, up and coming DJs opportunities. Mm -hmm. So that was, that was the start of what Hannah wants. And then actually, if I'm honest, I don't think it's literally just um, coming to my head now. I don't think I've actually ever told anybody, but I changed what Hannah wants to play in a period where I kind of felt uh, not worthy, if that makes sense. Like, I don't know what was happening at the time, but I wanted to take my physical Hannah wants off the brand. Okay. um, I think it may be a lack of confidence or, you know, maybe going through a difficult time. You know, I can't can't tell you exactly what it was. Mm -hmm. That was a few years ago now, but I know that I wanted to, to take... Hannah wants off of the brand name purely because of I wasn't feeling okay in myself at that time, um, and I didn't want 
my name to be associated with it because I didn't feel like it was worthy, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we did a couple of years, sold out um, the play tours as well. Similar concept, to be fair. It just meant we could be in full control, um, just slightly different branding. And then um, a couple of years ago, we changed it back to what Hannah wants in it. And really happy we did that. I, I love the name. I think um, the live streams that I'm going to be doing out here in Ibiza is, again, going to be under the What Hannah Wants branding. And it's just a great kind of umbrella for being able to do exactly that what what i want to do yeah you know, whether that's streams um events festival tents you know i think it's really nice to kind of have that um alongside the music and alongside the you know the hannah wants dj sets i really enjoy it yeah that, that's what i've always really liked as well because obviously not not just focusing on fleur because i work with you know there's a lot of other artists that you've brought through as well and given opportunities what, what do you tend to look for in, in up-and-coming artists? You know, in, because obviously taking someone on tour is, is, is a big thing. You know, there's a lot of trust and um, I wouldn't say necessarily risk because obviously you know your music well, you know what you're, you're looking for where you can trust someone to, to do a good job. Um, but what, what are the main things you tend to look for? When I was doing the competition, I mean, it was still a risk because people were just sending in a mix, you know, and um, whilst I did ask for it to be live, you never really kind of knew 100 and it could be their mate or something, you know, but it was a risk I was willing to take because I know how hard it is to break through. I feel like once you break through, and especially once you're catapulted, it's easy for a period it goes back to you saying you can you can be flown up to the top but very few people stay there it's just a fact you know Mm. but i know how hard it is to at that point when you haven't got many kinds of strings under your bow to get that opportunity and especially in today's day and age when you've got social media so someone with more followers or someone where their their instagram's popping off or they know this person their best friends with it's it's hard yeah 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 and i genuinely because i care so much about djing and music and and just the passion of of, of just just the art of djing you know i want to wanted and still want to give people opportunities and djs like fleur are prime examples of the talent that is just lying there waiting to be picked and found and just Mm. flourished and um She's phenomenal, an absolutely phenomenal DJ. Um, I don't know whether you know of a DJ called um, Joshua. Um, yeah, 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 technical he's, ability. He's incredible. Devstar was another one that won my DJ competition. Yeah. Oh, my God, he's up there with EZ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Talking about just DJ ability, he needs to be at the top, along with your Jack Swift, you know. Yeah, of course. They're there, and unfortunately, you know what, that's not the way it is. There's much more to it than that. But in terms of DJ ability, I want to be able to shine a light on people who are passionate about music and passionate about DJing. And um, I'm grateful that I've been able to kind of open a few doors for DJs like that um, because they will go on. And Fleur is somebody who's, who I believe is going to um, have an incredible future, you know. Yeah, and yeah. I'll, I'll be happy and proud to know that. We kind of spoke and um, we actually, she, I think she come and played my set, um, What Hannah Wants in Scotland. She could, we flew up to Scotland and um, were you there? That no, month? that was before I started working with her. I think that was the first competition that she won and then after that we started yeah. working together. And um, we got talking backstage and again, this is just another beautiful part to it is that we got talking and we found out we had lots in common. She actually only lived about 10 minutes. Yeah, it's mad. <laughs> and we've become amazing friends since and it's just it's just the beauty of, of, of all of that i love all of that shit yeah know? and um 
I think that's a big thing for anyone as well, because I know, like we've already said, you know, you, you've experienced real success, whether or not that, you know, we don't need to go into it, obviously, whether it's financial or, you know, your, your house or your beautiful car and everything like that. But I don't think you can beat that rewarding feeling of giving back to people and recognising talent and bringing them through, because I think everyone, once again, has this misconception that the true key to happiness is material possessions. But obviously, I haven't been in the position you're in where you can give back to that extent but I bet you the feeling that you get off seeing people progress because of the opportunities that you've given them directly I bet that feeling is unreal unbeatable isn't it yeah it, it, it's, it's a beautiful thing and I think it's something that is extreme I can hear you you know what that is that's my um can you hear me now that's my alarms popping off for eyeballs medications always over <laughs> um I just think it is extremely important if you are in a position to give back in any sense. I think it's important, and especially in this climate, um, mm. and just, just regardless to, to do that, whatever that is, big or small, um, the world needs more of that, you know what I mean? No, definitely. I am mindful of the fact there's Ivor's medication waiting, so I'll only be a few more minutes. Um, uh, no, no, don't, don't worry. I've, I've got one more interview at half past, so we've got a bit more time. Okay. That's all right. I've just seen Philly at the window knocking, saying, Hannah's got an interview in half an hour. Get off the camera. <laughs> it's, it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> so it must be incredibly difficult to pick due to the amount of success you've experienced in your career so far. Um, and I know, like, even with your work ethic now, is not dwindling and, you know, you still want to achieve more. If you really had to narrow it down, what are your top three favourite Hannah Wants moments that really stick out? Hard question, and yeah, you are right. I feel like I feel like, and it's a good way to feel that I'm just kind of getting going with my career. Um, I went up here, and then I've kind of planed and levelled off for a few years. I've had a lot, you know, I had a, a lot personally um, that went on that kind of stopped me touring as much as I wanted to. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the, the diagnosis and stuff, and um, but I feel like I'm ready to kind of take it up a level now and as much as coronavirus has been um a stressor and a difficult problem to navigate to say the to say the least yeah the um, amazing things to have come from it has been my time to have been able to just make music and i think it's been the best thing in the world for me to have not had a dance floor in mind and for me to just allow my mind and my inspiration and my you know just everything to um, open because I genuinely believe the music that's going to be released um, that's forthcoming is by far the best I've ever released because because I haven't tried and you know what this is something I know anyway but you should never try to cater for or be something that you're not mm. and for the first time I'm making music that I feel is truly me and well I hope you all agree when um, you, you hear it but I, I believe it's um, miles above yeah. That I've released over the past few years. Not not at all of it, but um, I forgot your actual question now. Oh, my three. My, three <laughs> so my first one. <laughs> Good question. My first one, I would say, when I won my, um, I entered a competition for Mixmag, and the you had to send in a mix. This was probably around 2012. Maybe? Yeah. yeah it was 2012. Send in a mix, and the winner got to play and um, got to do the opening set on the silent disco. Well, I didn't know it was a silent disco at the time, but <laughs> got to play an opening set at Creamfields Festival. Mad. And I walked out. I'd gone from playing local gigs, you know, not big crowds, 
went to Queenfield to experience all the backstage thing. You know, I, I didn't know anything back then. And just opened the, uh, what's it called? You know, the, it's not a fence, is it? What's it called? The big material at the back of the, the tent and swung it round and then just saw, because it was the first set of the, 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 the Greenfields weekend, a, a whole tent full of screaming people. And I was like, oh, shit. And then they told me it was a silent disco. I've never played a silent disco before. I had no monitors, I had nothing, nothing. <laughs> I had my headphones. I had to quickly adapt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Loved it, loved it. So that kind of gave me my first glimpse, glimpse of... Um, what was out there in terms of stages and things. So that was really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to say first time at Hideout. Hideout was always a goal to me. My friends had said to me for a few years leading up to my first set, do you want to come Hideout? And I was always be like, no, no, I'll go when I'm DJing. I'll yeah, 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 yeah. I just couldn't do it because I just wouldn't feel good. I, I, in fact, I would probably hate it because I'd be thinking I want to DJ. You know? <laughs> so I, I turned down years of going to Hideout. <laughs> I got the call one year and... Um, and got one of the biggest uh, crowds that year. I, I heard, well, people were kind of jumping over the uh, the sides of the arena and things. Was like it that Aquarius that you played? It was, it was crazy. And I think that was a real moment of just being like, wow, you know, this is incredible. Yeah. I, I, I'm happy here, you know. And um, the third one was probably going back to what I'd said before about the amnesia residency when... I got gifted what offered um, an opportunity that probably wasn't even meant for me. You know, they needed somebody to close a drum and bass arena. They offered it me because I was, do, you know, doing okay. Mm-hmm. And I took that opportunity, kept everybody on the dance floor and, um, you know, got the attention of promoters in Ibiza, which then catapulted me into, a, you know, a headline position. So I think that was a really kind of pivotal year and opportunity and... Um, and something that I'll always remember. Yeah. Know? Where would you say is the most random places you've ever played? Because I know you've done the, the Igloo, and then you, I swear I read that you played in like Mozambique, so I bet, I bet you've played some random places over the years. Yeah. The, the, the most random places would probably be some of the after parties that I've played. <laughs> <laughs> I've played um, Mozambique and Igloo. That was pretty cool. Oh, God, you, you're throwing me. What's, what's the most random after parties you played then? What? What's what's the most random after parties you played? Is it in like flats and accommodations of uni students or what? Yeah, oh, I've ended up I've ended up some places that I have never wanted to end. But, you know, <laughs> all for the memories, isn't it? You look back at these times and you laugh. I mean, I wouldn't want to do it now, maybe once a year. But um, you know, it was it was a frequent thing. You'd, I'd go out and, and DJ in Leeds. Leeds was um. Leeds is a phenomenal city mm. to DJ. One of my favourites in the whole entire world. They are crazy. But because that was kind of my second city, so after the Midlands, that's where I was going primarily. Mm. I'd drive up um, and I I would never know where I would end up. You know, the, the after party in the clubs would go until four and then you'd go to apartments, um, houses. I mean, c- close the curtains and then you'd go back, <laughs> back in the cat days and... Um, but you know i I look back now with fond memories but again the damage that i did to my body just wow wow. yeah i know i know what you're saying so I know that normally with your demanding touring schedule, like pre-COVID, you don't get like much chance to, you know, like focus on production. But um, obviously, it's quite well timed with the release you've got coming up on 
Ultra, which drops on Friday with Nathan Nicholson. Those vocals on that track are next level. Phenomenal, aren't they? Mm. That's another thing that I think that's kind of propelled my productions is is signing. I signed with um, Ultra um, with a publishing deal, and they have again and enabled me to access something I've never been able to access. Instead of me hunting on YouTube or whatnot for a sample, you know, that's probably been rinsed that I'm not going to be able to clear. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've, I've got access to a whole host of amazing um, vocalists and. Um, I, I hope that the reward will be reached, you know, and, and Nathan Nicholson's vocal on Liftoff is, is, is a prime example of that. Received it in a folder, um, just like I did with Clementine um, Douglas's, because I know you'd, you'd mentioned that you like that track, don't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Numerous, um, I, I get sent numerous folders on a week-to-week basis, and I can just sit and get lost in it, and, yeah. and then it's one that just goes ding, and then that's it, and then you're off. I've never had that before, so... Yeah, coming back to what you were saying before about following, Clementine especially is a big example. You look at her following on social media, I say only, you know, 1,500 followers, collaborated with DJ Zing, Wilkinson, yourself... She did that tune on Tour Room, that Caught in Your Rhythm. Like, her vocals are just absolutely mind-blowing. That, that, that track is one of, that track is probably the, the, the track that I'm most excited about, and it, it means so much to me on so many levels. Mm. Just, if the alarm pops off soon, Cal, I'll just knock it off, OK? <laughs> um, that was a folder that I'd been sent, and it was the of Clementine's vocals, and it was the first one that I listened to in that folder. And I, when I say... There you go. <laughs> when I say I was upset, I was obsessed. I just sat and played it on repeat. And, you know, it, it just kind of it was so true to what I was going through at the time, you know, with my relationship breakup, which is why I just think that the whole... I think everything happens for a reason, and I truly believe that that record is going to do well. Yeah. And because it, it was meant to happen, she's from Birmingham as well. Mm-hmm. The lyrics were so... It, they just resonated so much, and... We tried three different kinds of vibes and ideas, you know, it's just as a collective, we all love as a team and, and artists love that record and I'm so excited for it. Yeah, definitely. I think that that's a big point as well, is the fact that it's emotive and it resonates with people because I feel like the past couple of years, especially when I first started properly going out in Digbeth, and this is no disrespect to any promoters, you know, because it was the same in most cities and countries, that period and not using Tech House as a scapegoat, but there was a lot of music that was being produced that didn't really have much soul and passion being poured into it. Whereas, you know, you've got releases from, you know, there's artists you listen to from like the 80s and 90s and even the 70s where those kind of tracks stand the test of time because there's a lot of soul and passion gone into it and, it, and it's emotive and it resonates with people. And like you say, that release you've got coming up with her those kind of releases are better received initially and they tend to stand the test of time because it's not just a rushed, churned out track for the sake of, oh, look at me, I've produced a track and I've got this many positions on Beatport. It's, uh... and, and, and that, Callum, is something that I am guilty of because that's mm. exactly what I have tried to do is in just try to make the next tech house, you know, track that's going to work and do well on Beatport and... and, and my my soul and my passion 
wasn't in in a lot of my you know what not just the, the few tracks that i've released over the past few years but the many tracks that have never seen a release that are still you know on my hard drive that will never get a release that just weren't good enough you know mm-hmm. and um, that's another point if i could go back and tell myself i would have been much more selective about the stuff that i have released because once it's out there it's out there forever and i look back at my back catalog now and i could probably tell you four four releases that I wish that I'd never released, you know. It, it was that, and because we live in this kind of social media active time, it was, I, I felt compelled to put something out as, as opposed to something that I really loved and I was proud of, and I'm guilty of that. And that's another huge lesson that I've learned over the years and with the time out from coronavirus because there, there, there isn't a dance floor to cater to right now. There, there, there isn't. The usual activity worldwide that's going on so it's allowed that space to breathe and stop and think whoa you know yeah what, what am i doing and find the passion and, and 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 then that just leads back to what i said that i've, I've been making music that, that 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 gives me goosebumps yeah yeah, yeah. And, and that and that's the point you know yeah. i mean so i'm just i'm super excited for i've the just future. i've just seen I've just seen Kevin Knapps dropped in, like, got to be one of my favourite human beings anywhere in life. Like, meeting him is just so funny at Lab. Um, Kev, oh, yeah, yeah, Kev <laughs> is unreal, and he's such a character, such a nice, genuine guy. Yeah. And he, for me, is one of my kind of inspirations, production-wise, always has been. Um, from back from back in his early Hot Creations days, mm. he's always been phenomenal. So to, to work with him has been, um, not, not just on Call Me, but Talk About Mess has been incredible. And I hope, I hope, I hope you're listening carefully. <laughs> I'm going to cut some more stuff soon. Yeah. But no, I really like the point you made there just for the last question about, I think we've all been guilty of rushing and especially in this fast-paced society how that's developed in the last few years because of this meteoric rise of social media people rather than taking the time taking a step back and realizing you don't always have to be active on social media you're better off just working behind the scenes really making sure whether it's your DJing or your production is absolutely bang on so that when you do release you're actually happy with what you're releasing and it's going to have the maximum impact because otherwise you end up looking back and thinking oh god I wish I wish I never released that so it's, it's hard to do it at the time because every part of you wants to get out there and mm. wants to, you know, be active and wants to be, you know, on show and wants to be doing stuff. But but it, it just really helps if you take a step back and you really kind of, you know, work your strategy and really consider what you're putting out, whether that's a mixtape, uh, whether that's a track, you know, because it, it, it really does, once it's out there, it's out there. And you want to be able to look back and be like, yeah, you know, what, I, pr- I was proud of all those moves as opposed to, you know, ah. Uh, Shit, you know, I wish I didn't release that. Which, you know, I, I can look back and, and and say that I jumped, but it's it's all lessons learned. It's all part of the game, and it's all part of the process. Yeah, definitely, mate. Um, so the final question is, what are the main pieces of advice you would give to anyone up and coming nowadays that's really genuinely determined to make it? Um, and coming off the back of that, what would you like to see change in the music industry post COVID? You didn't tell me about that question. <laughs> Curveball. Um, don't expect things to happen overnight. First of all, make sure you're doing it for the right reasons. Is it just to boost your ego? Obviously, because you live, <clears throat> eat, breathe, sleep, music, you know, make sure. Because otherwise, there's no point you invest in your energy. Basically, find whatever that passion is, whatever that is. Because it will never stand the test of time. You will never see it through. You will never do it for decades 
you know so that's the most important thing if it's truly your passion don't expect things to happen overnight like i get numerous messages and um they they will be along the lines of hey hannah you know i bought some decks i've been djing for four months now and i still haven't got a gig you know have you got any advice and i'm like whoa i didn't get a paid gig i would say for three years when yeah I first yeah started. for three years n- no money no nothing any of course it didn't matter that's just the way it was and i wouldn't change it for the world but i think people and again with with everything on social media and because you can kind of seem appear to fly from here to here um with a record i think people have unrealistic expectations of, of what what actually what work actually needs to be done for you to get somewhere and then for you to stay somewhere yeah you know, don't expect things to happen overnight you know it, it, it will take years and rightly so yeah it's true another thing that i am so like passionate about is being a nice person and not i call them dickhead djs there is so much ego and so much entitlement about being a DJ or a producer that you think that you're better than another DJ or producer or you just think you're better than people in general and I just I just don't agree with it at mm. all. I think I think we we're just all humans except I'm just extremely blessed to be able to be in front of those decks on yeah, the weekend yeah, yeah. to be able to travel in and have got where I've got, you know, and without the people that support you. Um you're ultimately nothing anyway. Very if you true, mate. Tickets for me, I wouldn't be going to do what I do. You know. Yeah. What I mean? So just being a nice person, promoters, crowds. You remember nice, but then you always you you always remember if someone's been a dick as well. You know. So it's true, mate. Just work on both levels, and again for longevity. If you want to be in the game for a long time, be a nice person. Mm. Be it's true, mate. Nice. I feel as well, like, even if you do well, you'll only go so far because if you, you know, just focus on whether it's just, like, one area or one, like, group of people and, you know, because of your own ego, you think, nah, this is all I'm going to focus on. I'm not willing to work with other people. You know, like, you've gone as far as you have done, you know, and played in pretty much every continent in the world, all the biggest festivals, because you're willing to, you know, like, work with other people. You know, you're not just, like, this is what I'm doing and that's it. You have to be open-minded and be willing to to work with other people if you really want to go to that next level but I like the point you said there about you know without these people you wouldn't be where you are now um Paul Gascoigne did a podcast obviously I know that you're big into your football you used to be a footballer before you kind of took the path of DJing but he was saying when he was coming through the ranks at Newcastle um he got way too big for his boots at first and he went to a club in the center of Newcastle pushed his way to the front and he was like, oh, do you know what I am like? I'm fucking Paul Gascoigne. And then the bouncer smacked him. He went home and then his dad belted him even harder. And he was like, that'll teach you a lesson because you're not as big as you think you are. You wouldn't be in the position that you're in now if it wasn't for all these people giving you the opportunities and uh, supporting you. So yeah, just, just be humble and be kind, like like you said, mate. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been called out, you know, on social media by a couple of, you know, relatively big DJs and you know it's one of those things that really have bothered me and I've had to try and again keep quiet on it because when you retaliate you're just inviting more attention and more drama but those people the two people um, that uh, I'm thinking about that have called me out and, and, and said horrible things on social media have both inboxed me years later can I say years later but they both inboxed me apologizing and said that they were um one was going through an extremely bad time with drugs and things like that so 
these are the things that somebody reading that comment on Twitter won't know. He's just actually troubled with himself and he's just, you know, venting out and, and you know, and for whatever reason, attacking me. Um, but then the, the people that read it on Twitter won't know all of the backstory and know that they've, you know, messaged me and, and apologised years down the line. You know, mm. it's just, it's just, it's just not necessary. And just goes back to the point of just, just be nice. Just, yeah, yeah. Just be a nice person. You yeah. know what I mean? It's all love. If you've got nothing nice to say, don't say it at all. And yeah. just um, about your question, well, just ending the question of. of you know, advice, just, just practice, practice makes perfect. And I think being professional is another important thing, approaching people the right way. If you're going to email us with a true tune or a link um, or a link to a mix, it's, you know, not sending it just on a BCC, you know, not mass, mass sending it out and, um, you know, spelling correctly, um, just, you know, a little intro, you know, it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's all the elements, you know, it's like, it's like the X factor, isn't it? You can be amazing at one thing, but mm. you know, be lacking in other places. You need to kind of, you know, just just have a, a, an all round solid game. Practice, be unique is another thing, you know. And especially, I can say that to myself now with me making music. Um, for the past however many years, that I would say probably wasn't a hundred percent authentic and true to myself. Yeah, you know, yeah. You, you, and, and I've probably suffered because of that. I, if I'd have been doing what I'm doing now, years mm. ago, God knows where I could have been. Maybe I had that next hit record in there. Who, who, who knows? Yeah, yeah. But it's that, um, just being unique, being authentic to yourself. Don't follow each other's sounds because it's, things change all the time. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am mindful of the fact that you've got that interview in 10 minutes and Ivor needs his medicine. But um, without, going, without going too deep, because I know that was a bit of a curveball question, is there anything you would like to see change for the better, like post-COVID in the music industry? Better. I just, to be honest, I just want to get back back to raves. I hope, I hope there can be less hate and less yeah, yeah. moving forward. I think that would be an amazing thing on all levels, whether that's whether that's sexism and people call, people calling out people because they're wearing braids. I mean, thankfully, I, I've never kind of uh, to my face. That's one thing I haven't actually received shit for, but I know other you know female DJs have like. Just let people live, let people be free. Um, enjoy the music, which is what we're all ultimately here for. Yeah. I mean, it just goes down to the fact that we're all here or in this industry because we love music, just because we might like minimal more or tech house more or this DJ more. It doesn't yeah. mean that the other people aren't worthy or aren't nice. Or yeah, of course. What they do. Just, just about... I would love to have more love. That's what I would like to have. I'd like to be in a more positive environment where people don't backstab each other where people don't slag each other at after parties like trust me i've heard and i've had the amount of shit that i've either heard people say about others mm. gossip or the shit that i've heard that people have said about me is unbelievable and yeah most of it's under the influence of alcohol and drugs but you know it doesn't matter what i would love to see in answer to your question is just a happier more positive more loving scene and environment where we all just kind of flourish support each other and um and, and we're all winning that's what i would like no nah, definitely 100 percent, mate so i just want to say thank you so much for the opportunity and i look forward to hopefully when restrictions ease um we can all come over and say hello <laughs> trust me we say for billy's birthday party it's in march i'm hoping that uh, we can get some people out for a little a little party party. <laughs> so, uh, hopefully you can come out, Kyle. Okay? Yeah. Thank you very much. And, um, yeah, thank you for the opportunity. Nice one. Take care, mate. Thank you. In a bit. Bye. See you. Bye-bye.